Hi, friends. Thank you so much for listening to part one of our podcast with Dr. Dan Valera, talking about his development of new cancer drugs. This is part two of that podcast. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. I wanted to step in for a minute because I know that I'm the newbie. However, <laughs> what I know we've discussed before is I used to sit on the advisory board and one of the most kind of what resonated the most with everybody on the advisory board was one name and that was Dr. Dan Valera. And it's because of these cutting edge anti-cancer drugs that you were developing, everyone remembers that. So even you know, back in 2007, 2008, um, I still remember hearing about all this stuff. I've been at the gala where you've um, kind of always been present. So, where Roseanne I, shocked me with that, with an right. award one time, and right. I was oh, almost, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. So, you talk about the the pancreatic research, and then you move on to leukemias and lymphomas. So, I think it was somewhere between 2013 and 2014, where you teamed up with this amazing physician who's now working here, but was in Texas at the time, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, using some of your new lymphoma drugs. Tell us about your work with Dr. Bacanova. Yeah, uh, Veronica Bacanova at the U. I mean, she's a tremendous force at, at the U. She's in uh, the Department of Medicine. She's a professor in the Department of Medicine. And um, she's, a, she's an MD, uh, and her specialty is is experimental protocols. I mean, she tries all kinds of things. And and for somebody like me, I'm a PhD, so I'm not an MD, right. uh, meaning that I don't really treat patients. I mean, I I, I make drugs, and uh, and and then I link up with somebody, and and I usually tie up to somebody that's a, it's an MD or now, as Roseanne points out, I work a little bit more with the vet school, so uh, DVM. Uh, but 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 in in Veronica's case. I mean, it was it was a, a, a perfect union because, uh, you know, I was really working on this drug, and she really was an expert in in, in treating patients with experimental drugs, and um, we had this drug, and as I mentioned, it was called DT twenty two nineteen DT for the diphtheria toxin, twenty two nineteen for the two markers that we were targeting with antibodies that were all part of this single single molecule that we had we we would clone for, with genetic engineering. So to inter interject, it was it was an was a twenty two and nineteen. What were the twenty two and nine? Were those proteins? Yeah. So yeah, th that's a good question. And and generally, uh, CD markers on the surface of cancer cells are all in this category of called CDs. Uh, most not all of them, but most of them, and 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 they call them CDs. And CD nineteen and CD twenty two are two markers on the on the uh, lymphoma leukemia cells. That, okay. that I just wanted to know. clarify that. Right. Okay. So but that's what we were targeting. So we had to have antibodies to target them, and and that's that that was the molecule that the single chain molecule that we made and and got into the clinic, and so uh, Veronica um, was we worked very closely together on this, and then took this through uh, to a phase one clinical trial, and uh, in a phase one study. I mean, extremely important. I mean, you have to consider all things that I just really don't know a lot about. I mean, all the potential side effects that can occur and what you do in case of a side effect. All these things had to be written out in a document um, known as an IND, an investigational drug packet that goes to the FDA. And that takes, you know, a year or longer in and of itself to get approval from the FDA. So, I mean, all this we did, got the clinical trial going. And then you, what you do in a phase one trial is you escalate the dose of the drug. You begin with a very low dose, and then you can keep increasing the dose. 
And you have to do it very carefully because, you know, you don't want to kill any patients with your drug, but you have to know when you reach toxicity and what your maximal tolerated dose of the drug is. And that's really the major purpose. But the fact of the matter is the trial will end if you don't get any efficacy because, uh, you know, you're not looking for efficacy, but if you don't get any, you're in trouble. And so uh, in doing the phase one study, we, we did observe some, some efficacy in the trial. And, and, and the drug, uh, you know, the, the, the drug showed some effectiveness, which, uh, which, which later on then proved to be very, very important. Well, this is a great segue to what I'm about to talk about. Mm-hmm. Something incredible happened. You developed this drug. You had created it for a specific type of lymphoma, mm-hmm. right? And lo and behold, a Minnesota patient has the exact lymphoma that you had created this drug for. That is quite a story. I remember being at the gala when you told it and when she came out. Do you mind sharing with us a little oh, bit yeah, about Cynthia yeah. Cattell? It's just, yeah. it, it sticks out in my mind, and I, I really want people to hear it because yeah, it's, it's, it's it, a really amazing, It is a, a great, inspiring great story. story, but at the same time, it makes you really nervous. And by the way, we're, we're telling this story with her, her permission because, uh, you know, you can't really, you know, reveal patient data without the permission. But, but, but yeah, she's been incredibly good, good about that. But Cynthia, uh, yeah, we had been testing this drug, and, uh, and, and, and I heard that we were going to be treating, I didn't know a name, but I heard that we would be treating a faculty member here on the University of Minnesota campus. And right away, I mean, I was terrified, because it's one thing <laughs> if you got an experimental drug. Uh, she was a teacher at the time? She is a professor, professor. Of, uh, of astrophysics. And I tried to read one of her papers once, and I couldn't do it. A little <laughs> over your head, not, not your It house. was way over my head. Brilliant, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant no, woman. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Absolutely. But uh, we ended up, uh, you know, treating her, of course. And uh, I, as I said, I was I was extremely nervous as as we did it because I just thought, you know, well, what well, what happens if a faculty member passes away on your drug? And I mean, I, I know that's kind of a selfish thought, but it still is kind of a real thought, right. you know. Uh, as, as you as you go through this, but um, she responded. She had actually had a lymphoma that was resistant to uh, chemotherapy and bone marrow transplant. I mean, she had tried everything, and the and, and the lymphoma came back. And then uh, with our drug, it was put into remission and stayed in remission. And later on, to this day, I get emails from her, and uh, and and she thanked me profusely. Uh, for uh, having a role in, in, in permitting her to see the birth of her first grandchild, which actually uh, has meant a lot to me. I always save that email and read it when I get depressed. <laughs> well, but you think about what you did for her, right. what the life that you gave her, mm-hmm. what she wouldn't have had, and, and last chance drugs, right? That's right. kind of your, your game. Well, that's our niche. That's yeah. right. So you mentioned it a little earlier. Um, you received this prestigious award from the Randy Shaver Cancer I Fund did. at one I of did. our galas that highlighted this work that you did with Cynthia. Um, and ultimately, reaching your goal of curing one patient <laughs> of cancer by the time you were 65 years old. Mm-hmm. Tell us how that makes you feel. And we already heard that you still hear from Cynthia, but how does that make you feel getting this award for the fantastic work that you're doing in Minnesota's community? Well, th- there was a, there was a couple of responders. I've had responders before I was sixty five, so um, I I just I just made it in under the gun. <laughs> but, <laughs> but 
but I was really shocked to receive the award from Randy Shaver. I mean, Roseanne w w was very clandestine about that. I mean, mm -hmm. the way she delivered that. She and, always you know, is. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, I, I, to this day, I'm kind of embarrassed because I just didn't know what to say. I was just <laughs> stuttering. But but that award, I got to tell you, is probably one. I mean, I've received other awards. You know, I've received, uh, uh, you know, fellowships from uh, Lakeem's Side of America and, and, and other awards. But um, it was very, very important to receive the Shaver Award to me because generally that reflects a, a real community award. Mm -hmm. And if you ever go to this gala, and I would suggest everybody goes to this gala because it's amazing. Uh, it, it's just the whole atmosphere and the way people get involved in it, and uh, and, and and you really realize the importance of, of community in in trying to develop uh, treatments and cures for cancer, and then and then the money and and you know you, you get NIH funding. I don't think it's the same as when you get funding uh, like from the local funding from the shavers because that really is sort of blessed blessed money mm -hmm. that comes from people that really on the grassroots level right. are donating so i do have to interject i i think maybe you liked it because you were life-size on the side of trucks thanks to heather i mean oh, the, i was in the i worked at the trucks at advertising company so i yes. was the one that helped place those ads so yes well yeah. i can tell you a story beyond that though because a friend of mine came up to me one time and he said you know he said, "I was uh, I was at a a Twins game, oh, no. and I was uh, I was at the urinal in the bathroom, and and you were looking at me. <laughs> the bathroom ads, yes. The bathroom ads. We did ads. static and digital, so you're probably on both platforms. Yes. So for those of you that don't know, part of what we do each year is we we take um, uh, pictures of of what we are going to." use as our collateral information and so we took a picture of, of Dan with Cynthia Cattell and with Randy and um, we put them on the sides of buses and on the on indoor bathroom ads and <laughs> I mean anywhere I thought we could get people's attention to All raise money over the well, place. got my attention Rosanna. Yes, it got your attention <laughs> But the worst part for Dan was, I think we ran those ads for three years. <laughs> so it was like he was probably driving down the road, seeing his face everywhere. I made you take a picture by it at one yeah. point. I think I did. I think and I that did. was great. That was yeah, it. I still have yeah. that picture. Mm -hmm. So talk about what you have done. And prior to COVID, you became interested in creating drugs called trikes. Mm -hmm. Now, for all of those people out there, Trikes is an acronym for something. Can you explain right. what a trike is and what right. does it do? Right, right. Um, so, so that that is our most recent invention. And and what's happened, I think, even in the last two or three years, um, there has been a big, big, big push uh, to engage a person's own immune system uh, to kill cancer. And, and there are drugs that can help you do that. Well, how, how do those drugs help you do that? Uh, trikes fall into this category, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain a little bit more about our own contribution to this in a second. But the, I'm going to give you an example of, of, of the way you can do this with antibodies. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. Um, what you do is if you, you know, use genetic engineering to put together two antibodies, and one antibody would react with the cells of your own immune system, and the end, the other one would act with the cancer cells, so that when you inject this into a patient, it pulls those two components together and, and gives your immune cells a better chance of killing, killing 
uh, cancer cells. And so what we did that was – so in doing this, what's happened is uh, this was done two or three years ago, and there were some tr tremendous responses that were, were generated uh, in patients against cancer, and there were some full responses in, like, leukemias that were drug-resistant that okay. ordinarily would not be cured were cured. And, and so this kind of set off a big interest in, in this area. So our contribution to this was to alter that platform, and what we did was splice in a uh, natural molecule that would would not only you know, uh, th that would actually cause the expansion, uh, the 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 proliferation of your own immune cells, and you had this thing component where you're bringing them together. So that's why they were called trikes. The immune cell of your body we were focused on were called natural killer cells. You have these lymphocytes that float around in your body. So our drug would take would basically one component would bind to the natural killer cell, the other would bind to the cancer cell, and then this other molecule within would cause this expansion. Hence, try three prong approach, right? Hence, That's try. what I remember right. for all, from all of your proposals. So instead of <laughs> one soldier in your army, right at the site of the cancer, you're getting thousands because you're Great. getting the signal for the cells to proliferate too. And people thought that was very exciting. Uh, the journals thought it was really exciting, and uh, and 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 we went we went with it. We produced a trike at the University of Minnesota, put it into clinical trial. And we tried it, and we had got responses, and that was what the trikes were all about. So where that is now is the university, and the way it works is, I mean, you can only do so much with NIH grants and any grants that you have and any money that you have. At some point, you got to have the pharmaceutical company step in. Right. So a drug company licensed it, and they're, they're, they made a batch during COVID. Mm -hmm. We had got that tested in phase one. And, and partly into a phase two, and then COVID hit. And now what they did is they're making kilograms of, 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 of actually at least two different trikes. One of them would be for leukemia, okay. and then the other is for solid tumors that could address diseases like pancreatic cancer and things. And Perfect. the Shaver the funding question. was yeah. really part of our identifying the molecule that they're focusing on called B7H3. I've heard and that, that a lot. Yeah. yeah. You probably have heard it a lot because – uh, yeah, it started in our group. We published a paper, but a lot of the people at the university have picked it up and they're studying it as well. Can so. you explain that a little bit, what it's B7H3 a, yeah. is? Yeah, actually, uh, it gets a little complicated, but B7H3 is a marker that's on cancer cells. Now, the important thing about markers on cancer cells is that many of these markers are also found on normal cells. And if they're found on normal cells, they're not going to do you much good. But the important thing about B7H3, it's a marker that's found on cancer cells that is found minimally, minimally on normal cells. So, uh, so that's one thing about it. Okay. The other thing about B7H3 is it belongs to this uh, family of check called checkpoint molecules. Mm -hmm. And it, it's believed that maybe that, that if you interfere with B7H3 by binding an antibody to it, or inhibit it, it inhibit it. If you if you more, more block it block than it. inhibit it, but mm -hmm. if you block it. Uh, then, then uh, the cancer cells, then the signal that turns them off will be turned on, okay. and uh, uh, not the cancer cells, but the immune cells. The signal that turns them off will turn them on, and the immune cells will really uh, then have enhanced activity. So you're kind of uh, approaching it from two different directions. Okay. So fast forward to today. Mm -hmm. Not only have you worked with saving the lives of patients with cancer, 
but your drugs are now being used to save the lives of canines with brain cancer. <laughs> Pretty yeah. phenomenal. Can you tell right. us a little bit about that? Right. Right. Well, right, right now we're not so much concentrating on the brain cancer as we're trying sarcomas. And sarcomas are significant because they are a disease of, you know, pediatric tumors and mm -hmm. and 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 we we really need some some reagents in that that area. So, um what we're doing is uh, teaming up with the veterinary college at the University of Minnesota. And I formed a really good relationship with a professor, a veterinary professor there named Jessica Lawrence, mm -hmm. and then um, another who is Jaime uh, Modiano. Uh, these two are just, you know, excellent uh, veterinarians. And we have a program at the U, they have a clinic and they treat companion dogs. It's mm -hmm. an oncology clinic. So, so pets with cancer, I mean, it's just like having a clinic for, so for patients with cancer. So I know, sad. I know, it is very Hello sad. Dogs. Well, that's right. And, and, you know, the other thing that I really love about it is, I know I'm a dog person, and I've got a dog that's a very important part of my life, and I know that many, many other people do too. Uh, it's like your kid. Well, it becomes a family right. member, you're absolutely right. And uh, this gives us an opportunity not only to help them, but then to use the information that we get to really instruct our human protocols. And there's a lot of things we need answers to. Like these drugs that I make very often, and drugs that fall into this whole category of biological drugs because they are antibody products, they're proteins, they, they break down pretty quickly. And we don't know the best way to give them. And to patients, we do it by continuous infusion. And it's not the best way to do it because it really limits the patients mm -hmm. over a long period of time to have to have drugs given this way. And, you know, and if you've ever had cancer, you, you, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. And what we learn from these, you know, these animals can really help us mm -hmm. uh, in that regard. So, I mean, it's really been a, a great thing teaming up with the veterinary school to do this. And, and, and we were able to make a, 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 an anti-B7H3 antibody uh, that, uh, that, that was actually made by Professor Jeffrey Miller at the University of Minnesota. Yeah, mm -hmm. you heard Jeff a lot. Actually, he, he's a person that um, I combined efforts with the same way I did combine with Veronica Bakanova mm -hmm. mm -hmm. to do uh, the lymphoma. Sure. Jeff's major interest is myeloid leukemias, okay. so uh, AML, mm -hmm. and I combined with Jeff then, and then he is considered a world expert in, in NK cells, and we okay. combined efforts to do that, and then along with another professor uh, in his department, Dr. Martin Felici, so we were able heard to. Heard all these names. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you have heard all these names. Yeah, so so the trike program uh, is continuing. Uh, B7H3, I think, it works in we got a B7H2 that works in dogs and humans, so it's going to be very interesting to treat dogs with sarcomas with mm -hmm. that, solid tumors. And, uh, you know, we'll see where that goes. But, I mean, I think it's going to be a big deal. Clinical phase one on the horizon? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping soon. <laughs> Great. Wow, that's fantastic. So, Dan, your work... Um, to say the least, is incredible, and I know that the listeners are probably impressed and maybe a little overwhelmed by uh, <laughs> <It's just a> <laughs> little. everything that you've had to say. I, I think that for those of you that don't know, and I think that this is really why we wanted to start having some of our researchers that have been funded on our podcast, is to show you where the money that you donate goes. 
how important it is to keep money in your community and give it to researchers that are going to use that funding for patients in your own backyard, okay? And this is a classic example of a researcher that lives in Minnesota, works in Minnesota, and has treated Minnesota patients with his own drugs, and they have benefited from that work. And we are so, so proud of you. <laughs> Makes me cry. Um, but I, I, believe, uh, I believe in fate. And I believe that things happen for a reason. I believe we've met for a reason. And um, I always told you you were a late bloomer, so I'm expecting a lot more from you. <laughs> you got a lot more to give. you got I a lot more do. to give. Um, I just want to ask you, um, you know, I, I, I still feel that there's a deficit in solid tumor cancers, you know, like pancreatic cancers, gallbladder cancers, um, even melanoma cancers. You know, we've got a long way to go, Dan. Can you tell us and those listening where you feel the direction of cancer drugs are going to go from here? What's on the horizon? Well, I, I think there's a lot of focus right now in on the tumor, what they call the tumor microenvironment, because a lot of those cancers you've just named, uh, when you talk about cancer, I, I think in your mind all you can really visualize is a lump, uh, you know, particularly if you've not cut into one. Uh, but the, the, the fact of the matter is, is there's a lot of different things going on within that tumor that serves as an environment that facilitates the growth of that cancer. It's, it's, it's not just the cancer cells themselves. It's what's feed into it. A good example of that would even be the vasculature. A lot of these solid kind of tumors that you're talking about, they really require a blood supply. And there are drugs out there that are anti-vascular drugs that are designed to choke off that supply. But really, the vascular is part of it. The, the, the fibrous structure produced by fibroblasts is part of it. The, all the immune cells that, that are inside of that tumor, some of them enhancing the immune system, some of them suppressing it. All those things are not fully understood, and I think there's a big push now to understand more of what's going on in that tumor microenvironment. So I think a lot's going there. And, and as, as we learn more, there'll be more targets within that microenvironment. So that's important, particularly for these really hard-to-treat tumors that you just mentioned. Um, the other important area I think that's probably going to see a lot more interest in where we need to make more progress, I think, is in the area of pediatric cancers because, you know, for, for whatever reason, it, you know, the pediatric cancer treatment fields really lag behind the adult. Right. And some of that is probably due to the fact that the FDA is more protective of children than they are adults. And some say that maybe it's because of the big drug companies don't see it as as big a market. Uh, but I think that there's being a lot of attention called to that area right now, and I think that'll really have a, a, a major impact on cancer as we go forward. Um, I just want to ask you, do you think that there will be a cure for some cancers in the next 20 years? I like to stay positive about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when you really think about it, the way we control some cancers now, it, it, it's really remarkable. A breast cancer would be a really good example yeah. of that. There's Far fewer people that have breast cancers get to the point where they are drug refractory and, and untreatable. Uh, I mean, it happens, mm -hmm. but uh, there's there's fear of them. And part of that is is because so much research has been focused mm -hmm. on, on breast cancer. I think some of the leukemias now, I mean, I know even the leukemia 
or the even the uh, lymphoma that, that Randy had years ago. I mean, it, they're very highly treatable now, mm-hmm. uh, and and a part of that is is I mean, if you had leukemia in the 1960s, it was a death sentence. Right. But today, I mean, there's a lot of leukemias where the probabilities of of, of getting better are greater than 90 percent. So it's it, it's it's remarkable, and I and I just think it's, that's going to continue to improve as we learn and learn more. I mean, I think one, and, and, and I would actually say this, that one very important element of, of the Shaver Foundation is, is, is that it really focuses effort on cancer at a time when it's so easily get diverted to other diseases. I mean, we went through COVID and now that's called the people's attention. And then we, do you forget about cancer during that time? You can't. I mean, uh, you, you have to keep the focus. You have to keep your eye on the ball. Mm-hmm. Well, we always say cancer was the original pandemic, and it, it, it always will be. Yeah. So we've got to do something. Right. Well, we want to appreciate you today. Um, we want to thank you for your insight, particularly your hard work, your effort along the way in the area of cancer research. Um, we are so proud and privileged to know you. I've told you that many times before. Um, that's it for today's podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Dan Valera, for being here. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Nick Bonacci, our, our wonderful uh, producer here. Thank you to Office Centers for allowing us the opportunity to be here and use their podcast room. Um, and in closing, I uh, just want you to know that uh, we want you to remember what Randy Shaver always says. He says, doing nothing in the fight against cancer is not an option. We'll see you next time.